<laughs> it's kind of tough one to follow. Good morning, everybody. Boy, it's so good to see you this morning. Welcome those of you who are watching online. Such a blessing to have you join us. And, uh, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. I've got several announcements for you this morning. Uh, today, really excited about this. Uh, in the past, we had been having a third Sunday fellowship meal. So after 15 months, almost a year and a half, we're back to doing that today. Okay, so if you can stay with us right after service, we'd love to have a fellowship time together with you. And we plan on kicking that off today and going on for the next uh, months, however the Lord gives us opportunity to do that. This Wednesday night, I've been announcing this uh, last couple weeks, but this Wednesday night is when the Awana meeting is for workers. So that's at 6.30. Plan on being here if you can help at all. We really, 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 really need help with our children's ministry in a lot of different ways. So uh, this is just one avenue. Uh, last year, uh, great job with the kids, those of you who served there. And uh, this year will be nonetheless if we put our full hearts into it. And so if you have a heart to serve in whatever way, uh, then please come, children especially, please come to that meeting. I'm excited about this too. Next week, Brad and Sarah Wall will be with us to give an update on the ministry of Global Gates. Uh, many of you know Sarah, who was, uh, is a daughter of Bruce and Francis and uh, been a part of the church for, gosh, all of her growing up years pretty much, right, Francis? Um, so they're going to be here. They live in New York City. We've been supporting them at the ministry for lots of years now. They were on the field in Indonesia for a lot of years and then came back and uh, Brad and uh, uh, Sarah started the ministry and it's just gone gangbusters. And I say all of that because uh, we love to have you hear from our missionaries. You know, we're doing a missions update. We're not been, have not been as regular as we'd like just due to various things, but I want to get back on track with that. And as you've seen from Mihai and, and uh, Ayman and now uh, you'll hear from Brad again, uh, just how much of an impact you're having in the world as a result of teaming together with people. I think it's critically important that you uh, hear updates from the people that we support so that you can be encouraged knowing that your money is being used in a great way to, to get the gospel out there. And lives are certainly being changed. So be exciting time as he gives us a, a, an update. On August 29th, um, I'm excited about this too. Uh, Brendan Newton is going to be preaching for us. Brendan's one of our young men. Uh, kind of part of the youth group. And this all happened before Jordan came to preach. And this was kind of on the books for a while. He said to me one Sunday afterwards, he says, you know, Pastor Bruce, I, I feel like God wants me to preach a message and uh, I'd just like to have that opportunity. And so we're going to give him that opportunity on the 29th. And uh, Allie and Christy Hardner are going to be here and talk about the mission trip that they just completed. Okay, So it should be a fun morning for us. I'm sure some of these young guys, they, they always kind of come up to me and say, you know, I'm just I'm not sure about this, 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 and this. And it's just fun to be able to, to see uh, God working in the hearts of young people. We really, really, really need that. If there's, I've been praying recently, and I think I mentioned this last week. If I didn't, I'll mention it now. That uh, I'd ask you to be praying that God would start giving us real godly leaders to come up in the culture. You know, a lot of our folks that have been uh, such voices for God ha are going home now, and uh, we need replacements. And so pray that God will give us these people. In fact, we'll see the Lord say this here at the end of our text today. So exciting times. Uh, Jeff has also asked me to announce for his Sunday school class starting in two weeks. If you're not a member of Sunday school, I encourage you to come. He's going to be doing an R.C. Sproul study on the holiness of God. 
Uh, We did that some years ago on Wednesday night, but it's been quite a while ago. And if you know anything about R.C. Sproul, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. But um, just a wonderful, wonderful study. Probably one of the most popular studies on the holiness of God. Just a, a brilliant mind that the Lord gave us. He's one of the people I was talking about that's gone on to be with the Lord now that we need to replace. All right, so uh, I like to give you funny things, and I want to show you a video that I did not show to the early service. Uh, it's because I like you all better. Um, I'm just kidding. I actually forgot. <laughs> That's the real story. Uh, but anyway, you'll see it. I'll show it to them next week, but it's, uh, I'll touch on that in just a second. But somebody gave me this little funny thing that I thought was interesting because it talks about change, and you know we kind of get upset about changes in life, and we're just not real good at that. Now, we, we like change. We'll be honest. We'll say we like change, but when certain things change, we're not real crazy about it. Well, that happened years ago in Pennsylvania, and evidently this was a true scenario by the Farmers Anti-Automobile Society. These were something that was proposed for state law. Number one, cars traveling on country roads at night must shoot a Roman candle into the sky every mile and then wait 10 minutes for the streets to clear. After that, the driver may proceed with caution, blowing his horn and shooting off Roman candles along the way as prescribed. (laughs) I mean, supposedly this is a real, real proposition here. Secondly, if the driver of an automobile sees a team of horses approaching, he is to stop pulling over to one side of the road and cover his machine with a blanket or dust cover, which is painted or colored to blend into the scenery and thus render the machine less noticeable. Okay? So keep that in your trunk. All right? And thirdly, this is my favorite, in case a horse is unwilling to pass an automobile on the road, the driver of the car must take the machine apart. <laughs> as rapidly as possible and conceal the parts in the bushes. <laughs> so keep your blanket, keep your tools, all that stuff. But now, you know, as I read that, I thought people change, right? I mean, horses were the main commodity in the day. And so people were upset about it. And so uh, anyway, I'm not sure where you're going to get the Roman candles, but, but we'll let you figure that part out. Anyway. So life is full of changes, some good, some not so good. Uh, But the Lord has called us to be changed, and he's come to change us. And praise his name for that. That's a good change, isn't it? That's a good change. Okay, so before we pray, I want Ron to show this video for us. Uh, Hopefully it'll work out, give us plenty of volume. There's a pastor who is We're sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, Now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up. And they said, a little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, Interesting. Well, we turned there anyway, and as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, 
I went over to her at a break and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. She said, you have much time in prison. So I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? And she said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. Very powerful, isn't it? What's interesting about that is I was in a meeting up in Rutgersville the other day, and as I was sitting in the building, it was right there at the intersection of uh, 29 and 33, I looked out, and the state police were right behind a First Baptist Church bus, and it was stopped in the road right there in the intersection. You know, that's a really busy intersection, and the next thing I knew is that the state police were standing at the doorway of the bus, and all these people that looked to be Chinese getting off the bus, and I'm not being judgmental in that, I did learn and confirm later that this was people, these were people that uh, ISI, you remember the ministry ISI that uh, Patrick and his wife work with, um, were picking up uh, these students coming in from China to be students here at the University of Virginia. And so the bus had broken down right there, and so we invited them to come into the building that was air-conditioned. Remember it was in the 90s, really hot, hot that day, and what a joy it was to be able to talk with them just for a moment. They all spoke pretty good English, and um, they just seem to be really excited to be here and, and whatnot. Many of them, of course, pagan in their belief, you know, having no real knowledge of Christ at all. And I thought about this video uh, in the time of that as well. And uh, just interesting how the Lord gives to us people that we can minister to. And, um, uh, but God is doing so much in the lives of people around the world. And, and I pray that as you listen to things like this, that uh, you'll never grow tired of the blessings that God has given to you. You know, to him who's given much, much is required, is what the Lord says. And so uh, we could easily be in their shoes. Right? 
But um, I often in my mind feel like these are going to be the people who will be the front of the line when it gets to heaven. Uh, but the Lord will determine all of that. All right. So anyway, very convicting, but very good. And it does segue us into the message for today, I think, as the Lord concludes now, at least Matthew is going to conclude chapter 9. A lot of information in here, so take notes if you will. And by the way, those of you who've wanted a book, I've got those coming and uh, you'll just let me know. I'll let you know when they come in. You'll remind me who you are that wanted one. That's the little Matthew book with the, for the note-taking. So let's stand now and uh, read Matthew chapter 9 all the way through the end of it, verse 27, starting in verse 27, and we'll go through 38 as we stand in honor of the Lord. That's the least we can do, isn't it? Stand for the Lord. So as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do, not, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. As they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I've titled this message, uh, Jesus' Compassion for the Spiritually Lost. And so, again, there's a lot in this. We'll see how far we get. I think we'll just keep pushing through so we finish this to keep it all nicely packed together. So uh, be patient as the Lord speaks into your heart. Okay, Don't look at the 40 minutes on your watch and, and get up. Okay, unless, unless you just have to. Now, if you have to, go ahead and do that. I remember, I should, I don't know if I should tell this story or not. No, I won't tell that story. Okay, well, let's pray and we'll go on. Father, we, uh, we come to you hearing uh, truths like this in this video today, knowing them. We, many of us have heard things like this in the past, but uh, it's just so uh, awakening, just so reminding of, of the joy and the change that you make in people's hearts. Lord, how we watch our world today and we see the world grabbing and clawing for what they want and peace in the heart and all of the things that man cannot achieve on his own. And, and you have come to give us all of those things at no charge to us like it did you, except to just follow you by faith. We understand that there is much by way of cost in the things of life, but in following you, but we understand that your gift of salvation is free. You don't ask us to pay for it. You don't ask us to do anything for it. You just want us to freely receive it. And so, Lord, as we study you and look into your mind the best we know how as you give us revelation, we pray that you would help us to also see the contrasts in our sinful hearts that need to be transformed into your glorious heart. 
And Lord, we come to you each week and nonetheless today to just ask you to do that very thing. That as we praise you and honor you, we truly mean it from our hearts. And that our most felt desire is to serve you. And Lord, speak to us, we pray. And use your text, use your word in the way that you will and the way that only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, and for me, I've mentioned this many times before. I, I just have to do this for my sake. I, I look at a text as I'm studying it, and I try to create somewhat of an outline. Just I, My mind just works better that way. And so um, I've got five things here, four of which we'll spend a good bit of time on. The last one, not as much. Um, you don't have to write these down. I'll give them to you again. Number one. We see in this section more miracles of healing. That should be pretty obvious as you were listening. Uh, in verse 34, we're going to see that some trouble's brewing. Not as not all things are well, are going to be well. We know that, but now it's beginning to stir more as Matthew brings that out. In verse 35, we're going to see the limitlessness of Jesus. And aren't you thankful for that? Again, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 36, our tender God. How precious that is. And then verses 37 and 38, help wanted. Jesus puts out a help wanted side. He wants our help. Okay, so let's look at the first one. More miracle healings. Now as Matthew closes this time of Jesus' ministry, he's going to give us two more amazing healings by the Lord. And I think you'll think the same thing as you understand what people went through more clearly. And so we're told very specifically that two blind men come to Jesus crying out this Wonderful statement, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this except to say um, blindness was a very common situation for people in those days. They didn't have the kind of medical treatments that we have today. They didn't have the kind of life that we have today. Uh, One commentator said that there were very difficult unsanitary conditions. And you know, if you've been to other parts of the world, that's certainly the case. Uh, I'm sure Israel was that way in a lot of ways, at least in various portions of it, which contributed to a lot of infectious diseases, uh, organisms, bacteria, kind of things, all this stuff that would affect the eyes. Uh, Not to mention the physical effects of living in that region, the blowing sand, can you imagine? Uh, Living in a region like that where it's hot all the time. Uh, And then you put on top of that accidents that just happened in life, war that was seemingly never ending, the malnutrition. Uh, Praise the Lord, we have great nutrition in our world today, mostly. Um, All of that stuff just contributed to the blindness of many people uh, in their lives. And then there were lots of people who were born blind, and that was due to also infectious diseases, like one commentator brought out about how gonorrhea was such a terrible problem in the day. And so as babies passed through the birth canal, they would be infected with the disease and, or in some way become unclean, <clears throat> excuse me, and blindness would take over. And so this was a real issue. This was not just kind of a happenstance kind of thing. Blindness was, was really common. And so blindness was not only a physical thing, and we know this, but uh, it was also a huge issue in the spiritual And so uh, these men came to Jesus not knowing really what Jesus was planning to do. What they were looking for is what we would often do, and that is we need something from Jesus. And so we typically think physically, we think outwardly, we think by what we can see. And so no doubt these men probably came the same way. But Jesus, again, had more for them in mind, and that's what you see here in verse 35. He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? 
Do you believe that I'm able to do this? It's a great question. Now, it may seem like a cruel question as Jesus is posing this to them, but Jesus was using this to show them not just that he could do this, but he wanted them to see again his real purpose, that he could heal far more than just the physical. And he wanted people to know who were watching that there was something grand that was going on here, and especially even those who would go out from these people and hear more about who he is, specifically that he's the Messiah. Again, now we've talked about this a lot through our study in Matthew, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that particular part. But just to know the real foundation of Jesus' message here through Matthew is that he came to heal. He is a healing, loving God who not only came to heal the physical in certain situations, but he came specifically to heal our souls. Now, notice specifically that these men came proclaiming two real foundational truths. Number one, they call him the son of David. I won't go back in the scriptures, but just understand that was a title that was given to the Messiah or the Messiah that would come, and that was a very well-known title for the people of Israel. And so these men, having their hearts now opened in some sense, some way, we don't know, but they recognize him to be of God. And so they call out to him, have mercy on us. And again, I think these two statements prove that they understand who Jesus is. So to ask them publicly if they believed he could heal them, then was not so much for them, but for the watching world. These men evidently had an awareness enough, and Jesus knew that, and so he was going to do something bigger in the life of the people watching. Now, uh, Jesus honored their faith. Notice this. We're told that he touched their eyes. He touched their eyes. Now, you may not hinge on this as much as I did, but I thought this was kind of interesting because the reality is he didn't need to do that. And we know that because of the other healings that he did. He spoke and things happened. And so it doesn't seem to really be needed here. So the question is, why then did he touch the man? Well, my answer is, I don't know why he touched the man. All we know is that that's what he did. But I do have some thoughts about why he touched him, and there are two of them mainly. And the first one is, is that he wanted these men to know that he knows the power of touch. In other words, as God, he would have understood the power that touch brings in the sense of closeness to people. And you understand that, right? I mean, we are people who were built just inwardly. We don't necessarily understand it, but we all have this sense about us that just wants somebody to care about us. And there's nothing like a warm touch, a warm hug, something that's going to share that love. And I think Jesus knew all of this, which is why one of the reasons COVID, one of the many reasons COVID has been so devastating, is because it's isolated us. It's kept us from experiencing the embrace of one another, again, which God built into us. There's not one of us that hasn't been through a scenario in life where it's either joyful or it's sad, and we sometimes, in the joy or the sadness, can't find the words to speak, but yet when we see somebody that we know genuinely loves us, we'll run up to them and embrace them. It's kind of a strange thing, really, when you think about it. Why do we do that? Well, because there's something built into us that needs that kind of thing from someone that we love. And I think Jesus is displaying that for us. A hug, a handshake, or whatever it might be. The second thing is, I think it was part of the test for them and the people that were watching. The test being... Do you believe 
that it is my touch that's healing you. You remember the woman from last week, the woman who had the issue of blood. She touches the fringe of his garment and he corrects her lovingly by saying, no, your faith has made you well. I think the second part of this could be just that. Is it that you believe that my touch for you is what has done the work here? And he doesn't want them to get lost in that kind of thing, but believing that it was him as God that was creating their healing. Now, it may not be blindness that you and I struggle with, but every soul is spiritually blind. And I think it's pretty obvious that the things that Jesus did do in his healing were pointing to something specific about the spiritual. And blindness would become a big picture, a flag waving that there's a problem spiritually in your heart. Basically, you're blind. Every soul is blind, and they need to have their eyes opened which again is the point in Jesus' coming. He didn't come to heal all of the hurts of the people. That's obvious. He bypassed a lot of people that could have used physical touch. And the reason he didn't touch every single soul is because in his humanness he just didn't have the time. He could have done it, but he didn't do it in his humanness. But the real reason is is because he had a greater message. And that's what John gives us here in verse 35. He came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That's why he came. He came to let us know that in this world, at least for now, bones are going to break. Cars will crash. Planes will fall out of the sky. Illnesses will occur. You're never going to be rid of those kinds of things. It's almost the Spirit is saying. Criminals are going to do violent things. But the reality is that there is a life to come that we must keep our focus on. I think this is what the Lord is saying to us. And even though he doesn't fix all of our earthly problems, he did assure us that one day we'll be rid of these things. And praise his name for that, right? So this is a really big message here as Matthew's concluding this chapter. In fact, if you go to the end of the book, in Matthew 28, you remember as he is leaving, Jesus is leaving the disciples, he says to them, this is a very famous statement, I am with you always even to the end of the age. I hope you never get lost in forgetting those truths from God. It is so easy, isn't it, to get lost in our own fundamental issues of this life and forget that God is with us and he's prepared a place for us. Listen to what John says in John 16:33. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Why? Because in the world you're going to have trouble. Jesus told us straight up. It's going to be that way. You're going to have problems. But take courage. There it is again. We saw this last week. I've come to do what? Overcome the world. I've come to overcome the world. And then there are such things as Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. Don't you love psalms like that? Beautiful passages from God's heart to us, teaching us what he is really like so that we never forget his kindness. Or like the prophet Joel who said in chapter 2, verse 13, rend your heart, speaking to Israel, and not your garments. In other words, it was common for them in those days to when there was great sorrow or heaviness of heart or some tragedy, they would rip a piece of their garment. But now the Lord is saying, look, I'm not so concerned about your externals. I want your heart to be broken before me. 
because that's only when you're going to see me for who I really am. But don't despair. Excuse me, let me back up. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. For some of you, that's quite opposite of the way you grew up. You may have come out of a home where you saw anything but those kinds of words, or at least those actions from the people who are supposed to love you. But the Lord wants us to know, and he wanted Israel to know, no, here is who I am. And so internalizing all of this and knowing it to be true, the Apostle Paul could say very clearly in 2 Corinthians 4, we are afflicted in every way. In other words, this life has an effect on us. And he's speaking of himself personally and the disciples, the people who were were with him. But we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we don't despair. In other words, there's things that we don't understand. We may even be persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We could be struck down, and I think he's speaking of even being put to death, but we're not destroyed. Why? Because no man can destroy the soul. Always we carry about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. You hear the Apostle Paul saying, listen, you want to know what this life is going to be like for you as a believer? Trouble. It's going to be full of trouble. Get used to it. Stop trying to live heaven now. That's not coming here. It's coming later. But that's the message that the Lord proclaims. So Paul later coming along says, here's the message of the Lord. He just elaborated on these truths. The point is, again, don't allow yourself to be swept away with the troubles of this life. I really hope you hear this message from the Lord this morning. Because so many people are so deeply troubled about their life. Because their eyes are here and now. Our purpose, beloved, is not to switch everything into the way we want it to be, but to tell people about the kingdom that is to come. That's our real purpose. That's the message Jesus left for us. Every word he spoke and every miracle he did redirected the attention to the listener to a better kingdom. That's what he was doing, if you think with me about this. And so when we get frustrated about all the mess that's going on in our world, and I'm right there with you, I have to remind myself of these very same truths, that we've got to stop focusing on the problems and start focusing on the God who can fix the problems. But it won't be 100% here. But it will be in the life to come. Now, going on, don't be confused about verse 30. I just want to say a couple things about this. Notice where Jesus sternly warns these men after he heals them of their blindness and says, see that no one, go, no one knows about this. You might be thinking, but wait a minute, I thought you just said he came to tell for us to tell everybody. So why is he telling them to be quiet? Well, you remember that Jesus was in the Father's perfect timetable. And so he's working out the timing of his father. You remember he said numerous times over, I only do what the father tells me. And so at this point in his ministry, he wasn't just, he was not wanting himself to be publicly recognized at this particular point. That would be coming, certainly. I mean, he was doing public things. But he also had a message behind this, I believe, because he knew most people wouldn't care about the spiritual message. Hello? Most people would just want something from him. And boy, we're not far from that either, are we? 
You go to the passages like the fixing, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus says in verse 26 of John 6, Truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, our human hearts are very well adapted to crying out to the Lord in our times of need, but as soon as our need passes by, we just want to move on to the next thing. And so I think what Jesus is really saying here, many people will look to me in their times of desperation, but they don't really want me. They want what I can give them and what I can do for them, for what they can get from me. And again, when the pressure's off, they go back to their old ways. Very common practice. We're so easily enticed to go that direction. Just recently, some of you would know who this is if I uh, made more clear who I'm talking about, but there's a homeless guy that has frequented here at the church, and I saw him the other day. Some of you may have seen him too. Uh, He's been back and forth here to the building and usually always looking for something. Uh, It's cash. And so uh, we've done that numerous times. I've done that personally for him, Um, but seemed to just kind of show up kind of almost on a cycle kind of thing. And any time you talk about, hey, um, listen, a lot of people are hiring and uh, you're healthy enough, you can work, and there's always some excuse, right? Uh, and, and it just reminds me, I'm not, I'm not throwing down on the man except to just simply say, that's the, that's the human heart. Give me what I want, and I'll take what I want, and I'll leave the rest. Right? And that's what Jesus is dealing with in his day as well. You want me because of what I can fix, and that's why people were following him. The crowds were growing larger and larger because he could do all these miracles, but he knew they really didn't want him question for us this morning is, do you want him or do you just want what he can do for you? It's a good thing to think about. Well, immediately after the healing of the blind men, Matthew adds a second miracle, the healing of a mute demoniac, and that's in verse 32. Very much like the woman who had the issue of blood, we know very little about this scenario. Matthew doesn't cover that. Again, that's not his point. Uh, What we don't know are things like, did he touch this man? We're not told that. We don't know what he even said to the man. Did he speak to him? Again, all these questions come up. All we know is this man was mute from a demon possession. That's clear. That's what the Lord says. But if you remember, it's very interesting as we get to the end of Matthew, and I think Matthew's kind of priming the pump at this point to get to Jesus' main point at the end. The two blind men were so excited about what Jesus did, they actually disobeyed the Lord. God said, don't tell anybody. But what they do? I went and told everybody. Right? Now that's a, an innocence in itself, and I'm not excusing the sinfulness of it because that's what it was. But praise the Lord, God knows that's how we are a lot of times. You know, we'll let things slip when we're not supposed to, and we call it gray areas and whatnot, and that's another path we could go down. But just understand that these guys were so excited, they went out and they just couldn't hold it in. But that really becomes the point here because maybe, and I'm speculating, Maybe as they were leaving where Jesus was, they see this mute demon man and they go up to him and say, hey, you want to be fixed? Go in that door. And the guy obviously says, yeah, I want to be fixed. If he was even able to do that as a demoniac. I think what it really means, though, if if that's all true, after Jesus healed them, they went and told others. And that's really profound. It seems very simplistic, but it's very profound. I mean, it's beyond me. 
that anybody could ever come into the encounter of Jesus Christ and find their souls renewed to where their hearts are now open to the things of God and their eyes see the spiritual world and they keep a lid on it. It's just beyond me. Now, understanding, I do that at times as well. So it's not so much beyond me. I understand the human heart. I understand the frailty and the brokenness. I understand what can happen. But the reality is, beloved, that when we really come into the presence of Christ and we know it was Jesus who healed us. I'm not just talking physically. I'm talking about spiritually. When he gave us new life, we want other people to know about it, don't we? We want other people to know. And I think this is a really good picture of that. That these men just couldn't contain themselves. And so maybe that's how the demoniac learns about all this. I don't know. Now, as much as these healings were so wonderful, not everybody thought so. So let's go to verse 34. Here's where the trouble is brewing. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. If you listen to people over the centuries, you know that God has endured many things at the hands of people's sinfulness. But not because God hasn't proven himself. He certainly has proven himself. Listen to what one commentator said after quoting somebody else. They said, the problem with humanity is this. Humanity stands at the crossroads and all of the signposts have fallen down. For Matthew, however, as for every other writer, preacher, and teacher of the New Testament, and for every believer today, humanity's needed spiritual signposts are very much in place and are entirely reliable. The problem with humanity is not with the signpost, but with those who ignore or reject the signpost God has made abundantly evident. And isn't that true? Listen, God has given to you and me the ability to discern through the power of his spirit so that we can have wisdom in certain situations. It doesn't mean we always have the answer. That's why we seek counsel and we seek the help of one another. We go to his word and we pray. But our world is seemingly losing its mind as if, just like the commentator is saying here, there are no signposts anymore. It's like you go down the highway and everything's been removed that gives direction and safety. And people are just ho-hum going down the road. And when that happens, they turn off here and they turn off there and they make decisions this way and that way. And everything becomes normal. Why? Because they can't see the signs anymore. Or they've been blinded from the very beginning. And so I think the statement here is very appropriate. That is our world today. And we need to understand that. We need to see that our world does not see what we see. They do not see what the Lord has given to us to see. And it's important for you and me to be the signposts, to proclaim the truth. And when I say that, I'm not talking about standing on the corner on a box in the middle of the intersection. I mean, that could be. But really, it's just to live the life that God has called us to live in our respective places. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But these guys now are so blinded They come along and they say, here's how he can do all of that. He does it through the power of the devil. I mean, if there was ever a blasphemy, this takes the cake. Can you imagine referring to the God of all gods as the God who listens and operates under the hand of Satan? I mean, that is a horrific thought. I can't think of anything more blasphemous 
than that. To attribute the works of God to Satan. But that's all the Pharisees could see. They had gone down the path of life in their sinfulness so far that that's all they could see. They couldn't do anything about the miracles. They couldn't deny those. I mean, those were obvious. So the only thing they could do is deny the one that Jesus said he was from. And that's a real problem. And to the uninformed, blinded mind, that makes sense, though. Because a mind that cannot comprehend the things of God, again, gravitates towards the things that it does want to make sense out of, and this is the outcome. Look at our world today. We're living in a world where the truth is no longer the truth, where a lie is the truth. And that seems to be normal. And I don't have to go through all that. You're smart people. You watch the news. You see everything going on. You see the decisions that people are making. But this is what God is saying to us. He's saying, look at the world. This is what the problem is. They're blind. And the reason they're blind is because they've rejected the only truth that there is in the world, which is me. In fact, they've attributed me to being of the devil. And that's what the world says to us, basically, right? You people who serve that Jesus guy, you're weird. You're freaks. That's almost the same thing as attributing the works of Jesus to Satan. Because in their minds, you're evil. That's what the Pharisees were saying. Jesus, you're evil. And the only reason you can do this is because you work for that devil. But again, that's the way the world spins. That's the way the world works when it's blinded by its own sinfulness. And at the same time, The same treatment, at least, these Pharisees put on Jesus transfers to all of God's followers. And that's what I was just saying about how weird we are. Let's let's look at some other historical things. You remember Nero, who had the Christians murdered in Rome? You remember what what the Lord said in John 15? If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. In other words, again, the the Lord, when you study the word, you see God continually refocusing our minds back to what's really right. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but it's not going to do that for all the reasons we just said. But I chose you out of the world, and because of that, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A slave is not greater than his master, and evidently he had taught on this. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they keep my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Now, Jesus wrote this or said this many, many years ago. But again, this is the problem with our world. And what's happening at an alarming rate, and this is what I really want to caution us on again as a church is that we don't allow ourselves to be manipulated by Satan to the point where we start listening to our fleshly thoughts and we become divided. That's a dangerous place to be. That's exactly what Satan wants. We need to be so careful because God is not a divider of himself. In fact, God hates division. You know these scriptures as well as I do. Proverbs 6, there are six things which the Lord hates. The last one, he says, is one who spreads strife among brothers. God hates disunity in his family. But Satan is trying to pursue that and push that big time. And we have to be on our guard against it. Paul said to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. That's a capital S, Holy Spirit, in the bond of peace. You and I are going through very difficult, very trying times in our world right now. We must be at our wit's end 
discerning the things of God and remembering that we are not the enemy. The world, in fact, is not our enemy. The world is blind. They're manipulated by the power of Satan. We have to be careful that we don't come against one another in our thinking and in our feelings about life and what should and what shouldn't be. And that's happening at an alarming rate. I'm getting a lot more questions from people, for example, should I take the shot, should I not take the shot? What should I do? And the answer comes down to you listen to what God tells you to do. You follow him. God is able to get us through anything. But what Satan wants to do is for us to start looking at each other cross-eyed and say, well, you didn't get the shot, so there's going to be problems between you and me. Do you see? We've got to watch out for this kind of thing. That's not our Lord. God doesn't want that. God can handle whatever comes up in our life. How do I know that? Because let's look at verse 35. The limitlessness of Jesus. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And watch this, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. If God wanted COVID gone, it would be gone. Bottom line. Meaning God has a purpose for it. I don't know what that purpose is except for us to turn to him. To remind us that death is imminent. You're going to die. COVID may be the way. It may not. But the bottom line is, I want you to trust me. Let's look at this. We've already talked about the first part, so I don't want to mention much of that. But I do want you to see what he says here. He healed every kind of disease. Every kind of sickness. Basically, when Jesus was on the earth for the short time that he was, sickness and disease left. Because he healed it. He got rid of it. And the reason he did that is because he was not only proving his deity and the Messiahship, but he was showing us a picture of the heavenly kingdom. Look, the world that I've come to proclaim to you is not here. Don't get lost in this. It's there. It's the kingdom of heaven, which is why John would write in Revelation 21, there he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no longer any death. There'll no longer be any mourning, no crying, no pain. The first things have passed away. Listen, in this world, God is saying, you're stuck for this right now, but I'm with you. I can heal it. I could fix it, but that's not my plan. My plan is to bring you into my kingdom at my appointed time. And so you need to be patient. I need to be patient and wait on that. So let's ask the question. What are your greatest pains right now? What are your greatest sufferings? What are the things that frustrate you the most? Are they physical? The Lord could heal that. Are they relational? Is that what it is? Is that what you're struggling with the most? Are they something else? Are they, is it just flat out fear? Fear of dying. Fear of losing something. Fear of losing a loved one. What's the fear? At the root of most everything in life is some form of fear in a negative sense I'm talking about. Fear is used so much by Satan, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. But that's what sin does. Sin destroys. We live in a sinful world, which again is why it's so wonderful that Jesus came. And he's bringing us to a place called heaven. And he's showing us what it's going to be like again. So again, the real message here is don't get overwhelmed with the things of this life. I think this is so critical right now. 
people are really frantic about a lot of things. Now, we hide it well, or we think we hide it well. But you don't have to listen very long to people's conversations to find out that there's a lot of source of fear, or there's a lot of uh, core fear there in a lot of things that are happening. But again, my point is, that's the way this life is. So God says, stop looking at this life for where you're going to be forever. You're not going to be here forever. We're going to go to another place. And Jesus says, I've come to show you the place that I want to take you to. Okay, so now let's go on to verse 36 because now we see the inward heart of Jesus as he expresses himself in a tangible way even more than his healings. Verse 36, our tender God, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew now gives us several critical things really we need to look at. Number one, he sees us. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I know I get stuck on words a lot of times and phrases, but I just want you to think about this for a minute. Can you imagine a God who never knows you or anything about you? And for that matter, doesn't care. What if that were God? What if he were the ruler of everything? That kind of God. I don't think we would like that, would we? Well, thankfully he's not. But that's what the world thinks. The world thinks people are just numbers. You're just kind of irritations in a lot of ways, really. And you can see that when you talk to people and when you go into certain stores. You know, have you ever noticed that? The people who are supposed to be customer service really hate people. It kind of blows my mind. I don't get that. I've said to Debbie many times, okay, if you hate people, don't work the counter. Just go in the back. Okay, it'll be all right. There's some work for you back there. I don't get it. But that's people. They just don't like people. And that's because people are irritations. They're just numbers. There's no God who cares, they think. People are just objects, masses of tissue that just heaped upon themselves and just somehow evolved over the years to accomplish the task. I mean, that's what people think. And they think it for all the reasons we talked about before. Uh, One of the saddest things that I can think of is that my brother-in-law, Debbie's brother, he retired after 28 years of uh, serving as a police officer in another city. 28 years. I remember I asked him, I said, so what did they do for you for your retirement? He said, they gave me a barbecue sandwich. <laughs> now, I don't want to be ugly, and I want to be fair. They didn't have to do anything. But, I mean, that's kind of how the world thinks, right? Just get the next guy, bring him in here, let's keep the ball rolling. I don't know how many people I've told Bless your heart for serving the company that you've served for all these years, but if you die, guess what's going to happen tomorrow? I mean, it's like a revolving door. Just just throw another one in there, throw another one in there. Why? Because the bottom line is we got to keep the company moving. You're just a number. But that's not the case with the Lord. He sees us. He loves us. In fact, a lot of the reason people do the crazy things they do is because they just want to know somebody cares about them. This is what was so important about the touch part, right? You mark it down. I've done a lot of counseling over the years, but you mark it down with couples. What it comes down to so often, if not almost 100% of the time, is there's a problem between the two because one is not getting what the other one needs to get or the other way around. They don't feel cared for. That really becomes the bottom line. 
no matter what the subject is, you can always whittle it down to somebody is hurt. Now, maybe legitimately. They're hurt because their partner, their spouse, is not giving them what they need because they need to be cared for. God built us that way, right? The point I'm simply trying to make here through what Matthew says here is the Lord sees us. And not only does he see us, but he cares deeply for us. Listen, 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Wow. Don't you love that? Psalm 33. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He understands all their works. And I love what the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 4. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him and whom we have to do. One of my favorite encounters in the scripture is when Jesus calls Nathaniel to come and be a disciple. This is the passage that we actually named our first son after. I love it in John chapter 1. You know the story where, uh, well, let me just read it for us. The next day he proposed to go to Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida. In the city of Andrew and, Philip, Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael in that kind of condemning, kind of sinful, kind of humanistic way says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, give me a break. All right? And that's kind of how we would think. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. In other words, what you see is what you get with this guy. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And what's so beautiful about that is, we could make up our own story here, but what's so beautiful about that is, in the, in the Lord's divinity, he saw Nathanael evidently at a time where Nathanael really needed the compassion of someone and must have thought that there's nobody around. Nobody cares. But Jesus, in his great compassion, says, Oh, yeah, I know you, Nathaniel. You know what, beloved? The Lord has watched you when you're by yourself under the tree. In those times where you didn't think anybody cared, when everybody left you, and I don't mean for bad reasons, but life just had to carry on, but you needed something, the Lord saw you. Because the Lord always sees. Because he cares. He loves you. And the biggest lies of Satan, again, is that nobody sees you. You're invisible. Nobody cares. Just go ahead and die. You might as well just barricade yourself in your house because nobody cares. They could care less whether you die or not. But again, those are lies. Jesus took the time to see people and you're one of them. He knows. He knows what you're going through. Don't listen to that garbage from Satan. Don't listen to that. Secondly, he has compassion for us. Love this. Matthew says, as Jesus watched the people, he knew their condition. 
which is why he uses the word. Matthew uses the words. Notice, distressed and dispirited. Here was the case of the people. This was the situation. Distressed means it's the idea of being battered and bruised and mangled and ripped apart, worn out and exhausted. That's what the word means. Dispirited means they were utterly helpless as from a terrible wound. Okay? Two words very clearly describing the hearts of these people, meaning these precious souls were not only bruised from the physical life that they were in and having to endure, but they were bruised and battered from the spiritual life that they were in. Why? Because the very people who were supposed to be leading them in the truth of God had forsaken them. These very men who were supposed to know the rules and the regulations of God, the laws of God and the The traditions that God had given to them had forsaken all of that, which is why the Lord says they're like sheep without a shepherd. What a tender statement. If you know anything about sheep, which I don't, Miss Ellen knows about sheep. Wild sheep, I'm told, tend to be okay because they just learn how to forge themselves through the wilderness and, and take care of themselves. But domesticated sheep are different. Listen to this as someone wrote this. They said, There are sheep that have been created through human selection to produce milk, wool, and meat and are no longer able to live a healthy life on their own, good lives without human care. If there's food and water around and limited exposure to predators, they'll survive, but I've several times been called in to gather up flocks that have been left unattended, and it's a very sorry sight. Their unsheared wool is heavy, dirty, and full of parasites bothering them. They're heavily infected with internal worms, stumping their growth and survival. Often their uncared for feet are so infected and the hooves so long that they can't walk and their knees are inflamed. The weak ewes don't have enough milk for their lambs who die from malnutrition and exposure. You think Jesus would have known that, right? I mean, a sheep was a necessary commodity, just like I read about the the horse in the early days. And so this would have been very clear to Jesus. So Matthew says he looks out on the people and all he sees are these sheep that have no one to care for them. And he felt compassion. I love this word. The word now is a Hebrew word that is often used for the literal meaning of intestines or bowels, the inner parts. People then didn't talk about the heart being the center of the person like we do. They would talk about how they felt. And so they would use words that talked about how they felt because they didn't really use abstract thinking. It would just be more concrete about how they felt, meaning the Lord felt internally in his body their predicament. Evidently, it really knotted him up inwardly. Now, it didn't mean he lost his divinity, But it would be similar to like you and I as parents or grandparents or a spouse would see a loved one, a child, and feel for them, and we get all upset and nervous, right? This is what what he's talking about. And his compassion was not just for their physical distress, but for their spiritual distress as well, because Jesus, knowing full well where they had been led out of bondage after 430 years, leading them through the wilderness for 40 years, giving them this place of their own, this land of their own, and yet they had lost sight of all of that because their leaders didn't do their job. And so they became like wandering sheep just trying to live life on their own and they were just going everywhere. Folks, that's our world. And if we're not careful, that's the church. But again, that's why he came. 
He came to be the great shepherd to tell us about his kingdom and a better life where we can be delivered from the pain of this life and the suffering of this life if we'll turn our hearts to him. And that's the big conditional clause. And praise the Lord, not only is there a place to go, but you and I can experience it now. We're going to struggle, right? That's clear. But listen to John 14. Peace I leave with you. Talking to his disciples, my peace I give to you. This was when he was about to leave to go in the ascension back to heaven. Not as the world gives do I give to you. In other words, I'm not a give and take away. So don't let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Can you imagine the peace of the Lord? If there was anybody who experienced perfect peace, it was the Lord Jesus here on earth. And he's saying, I'm giving you my peace. The very peace that I have, I leave with you. That's what he does through the power of the Spirit. So that in our trying times when the world is literally going to hell in a handbasket, we can say, praise you, Lord, and we'll go out and live with smiles on our faces. Not because this life is easy, but because we know where we're going. The word peace is a beautiful word. It's a word often used, shalom. You've heard it before. But it also describes how a life can be secure a composed life in the middle of the difficulties. That's the meaning of this word here. It's a peace that removes the fear of the things of this life and the peace that only God can maintain. The truth is, again, beloved, the world is so totally deceived by thinking that peace can be achieved in every other way. And you and I are so gullible even in our sinfulness that we buy the lie at times ourselves, right? Right? We listen to the world, and the world tells us, look, if you just do this, have this, make this, feel this, conceptualize this, you'll be... Finish the statement. They don't know how to finish the statement because there's no answer. Peace, I think, right? Because they don't know. If they knew, they'd achieve it. And we follow that path as if, oh, they must be right. Let's go there. When the Lord says, Tell me, I am peace. I am peace. You will have no peace without me. So, our role, beloved, is to remember these things and to be compassionate like our Lord is. Now, listen carefully. God has not called us to be living our lives in a frenzy, He's not called us to be the ones who are the vocal proponents of everything that riles everybody up. He's called us to remember that the world is blind and they need a savior. Jesus could have come and obliterated every person on the planet, right? All the people that were irritating him the most, he could have zapped, right? But he didn't. Why? Because that's not his heart. His heart is to rescue, to save what's lost. And he did that by showing compassion. The Jews would think they won when they saw him on the cross. But they didn't know he fought to get there through his compassion so that their souls would have the potential of being rescued. That is so diametrically opposed to our thinking, isn't it? What you and I need to be able to do, beloved, is to march into the world and spread the gospel of the kingdom pointing people to what's coming, not this life, 
but what's coming in the future and pray that God will open their hearts and their minds. That really should be the message. The psalmist said, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was none of them. Job said something very similar to that. Just moving on for time's sake here. Understanding that, listen, we're safe. Our days are secure. Whether we leave now or we leave later, it doesn't matter. Our hearts are secure. So we just trust the Lord and go share that same message with the rest of the world. And so again, the bottom line is, don't let the circumstances of this life divide the church. Don't let it divide you as a people. The Lord knows all things. Trust Him. If your life is in His hand, hands, then everything's going to work out the way that He wants them to work out. When we get in trouble, or where we get in trouble, is when we live by our fears and trusting our fears and the things we think instead of living by faith. Remember 2 Timothy 1.12, 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Proverbs 3, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Philippians 4, Paul could say this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. And what? The peace of God. The peace of God will surpass comprehension. Now finally, and I promised this would be brief, Jesus hangs out the shingle saying, help wanted. Jesus doesn't need us, right? We got that? Must be real clear about that. We get the privilege of joining him. But that's his plan. Verse 37, he says to the disciples, look boys and ladies, look at the harvest. It's ready. Look at the people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're so hungry for peace. They're so hungry for somebody to guide them. They're so hungry for truth. You have it. I'm leaving it with you. Now go. Go into the world. Give the message of my kingdom and pray to the Father that he will send more people to do the same. But just be aware, he's going to say to you, good, I'm so glad you prayed that. Now go and do the work. Right? There is a reason, I've said this so many times over the years, and we'll close with this. There's a reason why you are where you are in your place in life. It is not an accident that you live in your neighborhood, that you work at the place that you do, that you have people right around you, and all the things, the the friends you have on Facebook, Instagram, everything else. It's not an accident. God uses those things because he's saying to you, here are the ways that you can tell people about my kingdom. Now go do it. But mainly, I want you to show it through a heart of compassion because they're blind. They don't see. Okay? Amen? We good? All right. So we know what our work is. So let's pray. Father, not only do we know what our work is, but we know who our God is. And Lord, as we come to worship you this morning, we hear and we sense and we know, we feel the message that you have for us. It's as if we're the disciples sitting right under you as you went from town to town and and we see with them, almost as if we're watching this at the same time, these healings occur and your statements. and They have some things that we don't have that are not written for us, but we have enough to give us the clarity of the moment. 
how amazing they must have been, but how penetrating your words were. And we feel the same effect in us. And so, Lord, in my mind at least this morning, I I hear you saying two things. Don't be troubled by this world. You're leaving, but be compassionate towards this world. Give them the truth. Speak the truth. Be clear about the truth. But remember, they're blind. But the only way they're going to hear is if you take the message. So, Father, give us courage. Like we heard last week, the woman needed courage. Every person that you healed, you said, take courage. It takes courage for us to be faithful. So build into our hearts a courage that is only something that we could attribute to you. Because by ourselves, Lord, we're helpless. We are those sheep without a shepherd. Praise you, Father, for your great work. We honor and we worship you. And all God's people said, amen.